Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you here. I woke up this morning and said, I don't feel like going to church today. <laughs> then I reminded these people, just because they think they pay me, I have to go to work. And I asked, why don't I want to go to church today? Then it occurred to me, that's the wrong question. It's not why, I, why don't I want to go to church today. Why am I going to church today? It's rainy out there. It's kind of a Michigan morning, ain't it? Yeah. So I rethought the sermon. I thought, well, maybe I'm not the only one who doesn't feel like going to church today. So I'm using the same passage, but I'm taking a little bit different approach to it this morning. So I haven't had a lot of time to prepare this version of this thing. So we're just going to visit this morning uh, and, and talk about this. By the way, after the service... Uh, Bill Bramer and Doug Lang, two of our trustees, will be in the back. If you want to talk to about uh, nominating somebody for an office, uh, they'll be back there and uh, they can help you explain what these offices are if you have questions. And, and uh, they're pretty decent people most of the time, so they would love to help you. Our passage is that we started last week a series in James, but we started with chapter 2. So uh, our passage this morning is James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Uh, actually, it's 2 through uh, 12, but I just want to read this much to get us started. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its complete result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So that is a huge part of the answer to the question, why are we here? Uh, I had to answer that question for myself a number of years ago when I started teaching a course at Dallas Seminary. Uh, it was called the Educational Program of the Church. And it really got down to what is the church? What does, why does it exist? And, and of all the things we do, is there a way to encapsulize of all the various functions of a church in its, in its own self, in its community, in its outreach to the world. And, and I came up with this acronym, W-I-F-E. In the Old Testament, Israel is referred to as God's wife, especially the book of Hosea, refers to pictures Israel as God's wife. And we read in the New Testament, the church is called the Bride of Christ. We read about the, Kathy talked about the wedding, the great wedding when Jesus returns and calls his bride home. And so this, this acronym of WIFE uh, summarizes the functions of the church. It's worship, instruction, fellowship, and expression. We've worshipped this morning. Thank you for leading us in such a wonderful experience of, of worship. And we still are. I hope you haven't stopped as we come into God's Word. It's another aspect of worship. Instruction is, is about helping us learn and grow. Uh, fellowship is being together and taking care of each other and uh, internally the saints uh, working to, to encourage each other and build each other up and teach each other. And then expression is how we take this, this uh, what happens to us as we worship and as we learn through instruction and as we, we uh, encourage each other, then we express to our world and to our community the gospel of Jesus Christ and how wonderful it is to be a Christian and what it means to be a Christian. So worship, instruction, fellowship, and expression. But of those four, one of them is key. 
We worship better when we know God better. So we need to learn. We need to be instructed. We need to instruct ourselves about how we know God and who God is so that increasingly as we know more about God, our expressions are, are richer and fuller. We talk about fellowship and, and, and this whole thing in the, there's a, 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 a pronoun in the New Testament called alelon, of one another. And as we learn about each other and we learn better how to service each other and, and love each other, but it's learning. The more we know about each other, the more we know how to minister to each other, the more effective we are at it. And the more we learn the gospel, and the more we learn and, and are, are, are reminded of the incredible need in our world for the gospel of Jesus Christ to change people so that our world and our culture is changed. So I believe education, instruction is a key part of that. And just listen to some of the things we talk about around here. Right after this, after this service, Andrew Sanderson is going to have a Bible class, the book of Revelation. We talk about Sunday school. On Tuesday morning, there will be a Bible study. On Wednesday, there will be a book study. Right now, we're involved in Stephen Minister training. Over and over things, so much of what we do is centered around this whole idea of, of, of growth. In fact, the New Testament talks, uses this language. Uh, Romans uh, 8 says, we are being conformed to the image of Christ. That the Holy Spirit is reshaping us and growing us so that we are becoming more and more growing into the image of Christ. We are being conformed to the image of Christ. And one of the huge parts of that is named in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by renewing your mind, by thinking new thoughts, by thinking old thoughts in new ways. And, and the word transformed is, this, is the Greek word morphe, from which we get our word metamorphosis. It's this whole thing of, of God is turning caterpillars into butterflies. And he does that by us growing in our capacity, our, our awareness, our skills. And Jesus boiled it all down. Jesus was a genius. Uh, we, we complicate simple things. Jesus was a genius about simplifying complex things. Remember Curly? City slickers? One thing. One thing. What's the one thing Jesus said the church is all about. Well, he had his disciples together on a mountain in Galilee after his resurrection. Soon to depart back to heaven, just a few weeks after. And he gave them the last final commission. And he said, make disciples. That's what it's all about. Make disciples by baptizing, by bringing them into a relationship with me, by sharing the gospel with people who don't know Jesus, and bringing them into this relation, this whole idea of baptism as a, a coming into a new relationship, and then teaching them to observe everything that I have taught you. So whatever else we do, and we do a lot of stuff, and a lot of that stuff is necessary. It's important. It's wonderful. 
We're going to have donuts and coffee over here afterward. That's part of the whole deal. That's part of the fellowship. Go over and do that. Do that. That's great. Coffee's free. We're going to hose you for the donut, but the coffee's free. It's for our youth ministry, so don't, what is it, two bucks now for a donut? Jeanette always made me buy her a donut every week. Anyway, so much for that. But, but all that stuff, but it's all focus. It all revolves around why do we do everything? What's the bottom line? It is so that constantly we are being conformed to the image of Christ. We are being transformed by renewing how we think. And we encourage each other in that through fellowship. And we learn more about God by worshiping Him and expressing our love. And we learn as we practice this stuff, and we're out there doing it, and we learn how much we don't know when we try to explain it to somebody. It's amazing how smart I am until I try to tell somebody, somebody how smart I am. <laughs> it's like the centipede, the dancing centipede. Used to go around the country putting on shows, dancing centipede, hundred legs. Somebody asked him one day, how do you do that? And he began to think about it, and he was crippled for life. Never thought about it, just did it. But as we are doing it, we come back and we find out, I thought I understood that until I tried to explain it to somebody. And now I need to know, I know I need to go back and learn that better. So all for worship, instruction, fellowship, expression. But the bottom line is, are we becoming better and better because we're here. If I had to sum up, why am I here? Why is this place here? Why do we come to church? I say, I go to grow. I go to grow. I go to become a better disciple and a more effective maker of other disciples. So if we can take Jesus' word, his ability to take the complex and focus it, the one thing, make disciples. Mate tusate, one word, make disciples. That's what we're here for. And James expressed that end goal this way. Two times in this first chapter. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Write that thing on your wall. There's a goal. So we said last week, it's an aspirational goal. Probably I'm the only one in the room who's perfect. <laughs> Which just indicated to you that I am not. <laughs> I'm a loony to it if I think I am. But that's the striving. That's the striving. That's the growth goal, the aspirational goal. To be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. We could spend the rest of our lives climbing that mountain. But James said that's what this book is all about. This book of James. That's what this book, this whole thing is all about. That's what God is all about. He didn't save you so that you could be the person you were when you were saved. He saved you so that you become the most magnificent person you ever dreamed of being. And so James said, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. And then verse 12, he, he closed this first long paragraph in the, 
in, in the book of James, it goes from chapter, uh, verse 2 to verse 12 of James, James chapter 1. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. There's that same thing, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. And then he said, blessed is the one who does persevere under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crowning quality of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. A crowning quality of life. Now, some people see that when I get to heaven, I'm going to get a crown, and maybe I will. I, 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 I don't know. But I do know that what James is saying is, regardless of what happens in heaven, what God is promising you right now is a crowning quality of life. You can be a better person than you ever dreamed of being as you grow in Christ, as you are conformed to the image of Christ. Think about that. You were created in God's image. Sin has separated us from God. Christ has redeemed us and brought us back into a relationship with God and given us his Holy Spirit to help us grow. And the purpose of that growth process for the Christian is that we are being conformed to the image of Christ which is where it all started before Adam and Eve screwed it up. We were created in God's image. And God is saying, I'm going to bring you back to that thing. That's the whole purpose of, 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 of saving you, of bringing you into this relationship, of giving you my Holy Spirit to guide you and to teach you and to empower you and to protect you from the Satan's attacks. Because I want you to be these magnificent people. And prayer, and Bible study, and fellowship, and ministry, and service are all essential parts of that. But James added an element that's, I, I think of this as sort of that, that fine sandpaper, that thing uh, that Fletcher uses when he builds one of our beautiful things around here. He, he makes it really beautiful, and he takes that fine sandpaper to give it that finished edge, don't you? Yeah, he's not looking at me. He's looking at me, but he's pretending he's not him. He's kind of embarrassed. Yeah, Fletcher doesn't get a lot of attention around here, but you see a lot of this beautiful stuff that he does. Think of Leonardo da Vinci. Why is his art so treasured over all of these years? It's because it's so beautifully done. It is perfect and complete, lacking nothing. He went to the morgue and got bodies and dissected them so he could have a better understanding of what's underneath, so that as he's painting the surface, he, he is aware of why that surface looks like that. He was a perfectionist. There are more of his art that isn't finished than is finished. But what he finished is beautiful. It's the mark of perfection. That's what God wants to do for you. God is Leonardo da Vinci on steroids. And that's why James says, let perseverance finish its work so that as Leonardo da Vinci worked on that painting and worked on that painting and scrubbed it out and started over till he got it just 
right. That's what God is doing with you and me. And he's saying, you still got to flaw here. And I, we've tried every. You go to church, you read your Bible, you pray, but there's still that thing we just you know, haven't gotten you over the hump on that one. So let me begin where James begins. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So James is saying there are certain parts of us where the only tool God can use to move us beyond the hump is what he refers to as a trial. It's a trial. Now you read that verse, you say, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Somebody says, James has been in a communion wine again. <laughs> what are you talking, that's crazy. It's crazy. James is smoking better stuff than I'm smoking. Consider it pure joy when you counter trials. I put my thumb on my mouth, curl up in a fetal position and wait till it's over. What is James talking about? What James is saying is we must understand that life's pressures force us to grow in ways that we wouldn't otherwise grow. Romans 5 says, We glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. That's that same word that James used. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. So we got James and Paul saying the same thing. We throw Peter in there. Now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And the writer of Hebrews tells us Jesus was perfected by the things that he suffered. So James is saying that, you know, trials are there. Trials are there. Trials of many kind. Count it all joy when you encounter trials Various trials, trials of many kinds. And so the whole idea of trials, we think of, of some huge thing, and, and, and often trials are the uh, a terminal disease, someone we care about is suffering, or, or loss of a job, or, or some great thing where we say, I'm having trouble even believing in God right now. If God is powerful and God loves me, why is this happening in my life? And my faith is challenged even at the most fundamental level. Do I even believe in God? Many people, most of us, may have one or two of those kind of events in our life that stretches our faith in that way. And I believe James is talking about that. But it would be an error to think that James is only talking about that. Because James says trials of many kinds. And as we'll see next week, we'll look at a whole different approach to this thing of this, this word, tri translated trial. It's, it, it, it's, it's a, I, I think a, a different way of talking about it may be pressure. When you're under pressure, does your faith kick in? Because we have this 
this thing of faith which we talked about last week. Last week, uh, Faith is the evidence that God created what we see out of what we didn't see. Faith is that big overriding thing of, of do I believe in God? But faith also is a system. We talk about a faith system. A, a set of beliefs that we have of what's right and wrong, good and beautiful, bad and ugly. We read the Sermon on the Mount. We read the whole scriptures. We read the Ten Commandments. And God says, this is how you should live. This lifestyle, following this way of life, will turn you into a beautiful person. Not following this life leaves you vulnerable to not be a good person. It also leaves you vulnerable to be a really lousy person. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the biblical ethic is how we should live? That we should not do the things the Bible tells us we shouldn't do, and that we should do the things the Bible tells us we should do? That's a faith system. And, and James says, when you're under trial, does your faith system kick in? When you're tempted to tell that lie because it makes you look better or gets you out of trouble, you think, if I tell the truth, it ain't going to go well. But my Christian ethic tells me I'm supposed to tell the truth. I'm under a moment of pressure. Which way do I go? Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when your faith is tested, when you're under trial, when you're under pressure, when you're not in church singing a hymn, but you're talking to that neighbor who's just done something you want to go burn their house down. You're supposed to love people who persecute you. How do I respond in this moment? James says it's that constant going back and rehearsing. Do I believe this or not? It's easy to believe it on Sunday morning. You all look so pious. Don't they, Tom? Don't they look pretty out there? Yeah. Not a lot of pressure right now. Some of you, I probably shouldn't have brought that up, so I think I just thought of one. Yeah, so it's easy in here, but under the reality of life, under the reality of life, James says, that's when it has to hold up. Because testing your faith, testing your faith, exercising your faith, saying, even though it's going to cost me or it's going to make it more difficult, I'm going to do what my faith system tells me I should do. And James says, as you develop that habit and you do that continually, your faith gets stronger. That word, hupomene, uh, I don't mean to throw Greek at it, um, perseverance, endurance. Uh, you might talk about it as courage. You might talk about it as grit. You develop grit, you get tougher. My kids would call it guts. You become stronger. And your faith withstands harder tests because it's stronger. And James says there is that process. When you encounter a trial, say, thank you, Lord, 
for another opportunity to exercise my faith because it makes my faith stronger. And as my faith gets stronger, I get stronger and I move more close to that position, that place of being mature and complete, lacking in nothing. We get through that one. Walking down the street, meet someone else, God pulls out the sandpaper again. Shine you up a little more. By putting your faith in the crucible, testing it, the testing of your faith produces endurance. And as that endurance grows, let endurance have its complete result. Let it keep maturing you. Let it keep building your faith. Because that's the process God uses to make us perfect and complete, lacking nothing. He says, now, so that's verse 4. Perfect and complete, lacking nothing. He says, now I had a thought. If you lack wisdom, if anyone lacks wisdom, this is verse 5, let him ask of God who gives to all of us freely and without reproach. So he said, now, here's what I'm talking about. You're going to face lots of pressures in your life. Some of them huge, some of them just almost mundane, but they're still pressures. And they're going to force you to make a decision. The big ones will say, do I believe any of this? Do I even believe in God? If God loves me, I'm mad at God. I'm disappointed in God. I got to go home and deal with myself. I'm, there are those. Then there are the very simple ones where you say, oh, I blew it again. I didn't act on what I claim to believe. I claim to believe that I am a witness for Christ, that my life purpose is to make disciples. And I just had a wonderful opportunity to share the gospel with this person, and I blew it. Or I had an opportunity not only to not lie, but to explain what I believe is the truth to this person and why I told the truth. It's because of my relationship with Christ. And over and over again, we find these little things, hundreds of them, every day. Telling a little lie. Responding in a way that doesn't honor God or honor us as God's child. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And James says it's that constant practice of living by faith that strengthens that faith. I was going someplace with that and I forgot where I was going. I'm sure it was brilliant. Oh, f- wisdom. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> wisdom, hello. <laughs> Yeah, if you lack wisdom, you say, that's a str- why drop that in there? You're talking about trials and testing and being perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And you thought it's wisdom. Well, James was writing, this was very early. The church was still primarily Jewish at the time. And we know from Proverbs and, and, and uh, Ecclesiastes and much of the Old Testament, many of the prophets, the, 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 the honor that wisdom had because wisdom is, is what helps us live life at its peak. And so James is saying, now, if you lack wisdom, but why wisdom right here? If you're struggling with a trial and you're saying that, that if you respond properly to this trial, 
It will help you grow. Now, if you lack wisdom, well, wisdom comes in at least two, two ways here. The first is to say, why did this happen? I'm in trouble. I got this pressure. Did I do anything to contribute to this? I lost my job. That's a trial. That's terrible. That's hard. It's hard to deal with. What could I have done? Lord, I need wisdom. Why did that happen? My spouse walked out on me. She's very angry. It's easy to blame her. Lord, give me wisdom. How did I contribute to that? These people think I'm a hypocrite. The people, they, they don't trust me anymore. Did I contribute to that? Lord, I need wisdom. Am I living my life in ways that are creating my own trials? Count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Did I contribute to this difficulty, this pressure? If so, Lord, I need wisdom. I want to grow so that I don't do that anymore. And Lord, I need wisdom so that when this terrible thing comes into my life, and, and there's no way I had anything to do with that. I need wisdom to not question your sovereignty. I need wisdom in how to respond to you in those kinds of situations. And Lord, I'm in this pickle. This is a trial, and, and I, wanna, I, I need to respond to it. Lord, I need wisdom. How do I, how do I move forward? How do I respond to this situation? And sometimes, boom, they come just like that. I think of Nehemiah standing before King uh, Cyrus, and it says, I prayed to the Lord and said to the king. I don't think when he prayed to the Lord, he said, Oh, Heavenly Father, give me wisdom. No, he just said, Help! And he thought, That's that kind of pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. I need wisdom. I need wisdom. I need wisdom so that I can walk by faith. Habakkuk coined that phrase, the prophet Habakkuk in Habakkuk chapter 4 verse 2. The just shall live by faith. They won't just talk about it. They live by faith. That's quoted in Romans 5, Galatians 3, and Hebrews 10. That statement, the just shall live by faith. Habakkuk coined that phrase back when the he came to God with a problem. He had a trial. Lord, Judah, Jerusalem, Israel is sinful. Just these people, the stuff they're doing, how can you tolerate it? When are you going to do something about it? When are you going to judge these people? Habakkuk was a prophet. He got exercised over sin. And God said, don't worry about it, Habakkuk. I got it covered. I'm going to judge these people. Good. How are you going to do it? I'm going to bring the Babylonians. They're going to wipe you guys out. Going to destroy your city and carry you off into captivity. <laughs> Habakkuk said, now wait a minute. <laughs> Isn't that kind of overdoing it? So he had another argument with God. Do something. And God said, that's, that's my thing. And, and, and this is horrible news. Horrible news. The country's going to be basically wiped out. And the people are going to be carried off into captivity. And Habakkuk said, I heard, and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. 
decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in Yahweh. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. So in this time of horrible, terrible trial, Habakkuk walked by faith.